Chapter Seventeen of the Duel by Anton Chekhov, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Upon my mind, weighed down with woe, crowd thoughts, a heavy multitude. In silence, memory unfolds her long, long scroll before my eyes. Loathing and shuddering. I curse and bitterly lament in vain, and bitter though the tears I weep, I do not wash those lines away. Pushkin. Whether they killed him next morning, or mocked at him, that is, left him his life, he was ruined anyway. Whether this disgraced woman killed herself in her shame and despair, or dragged on her pitiful existence, she was ruined anyway. So thought Levski, as he sat at the table late in the evening, still rubbing his hands. The windows suddenly blew open with a bang. A violent gust of wind burst into the room, and the papers fluttered from the table. Levski closed the windows and bent down to pick up the papers. He was aware of something new in his body, a sort of awkwardness he had not felt before, and his movements were strange to him. He moved timidly, jerking with his elbows and shrugging his shoulders, and when he sat down to the table again, he again began rubbing his hands. His body had lost its suppleness. On the eve of death one ought to write to one's nearest relation. Laevsky thought of this. He took a pen and wrote with a tremulous hand, Mother. He wanted to write, to beg his mother, for the sake of the merciful God in whom she believed, that she would give shelter and bring a little warmth and kindness into the life of the unhappy woman who, by his doing, had been disgraced and was in solitude, poverty and weakness that she would forgive and forget everything, 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 and by her sacrifice atone to some extent for her son's terrible sin. But he remembered how his mother, a stout, heavily built old woman in a lace cap, used to go out into the garden in the morning, followed by her companion with the lapdog, how she used to shout in a peremptory way to the gardener and the servants, and how proud and haughty her face was. He remembered all this, and scratched out the word he had written. There was a vivid flash of lightning at all three windows, and it was followed by a prolonged, deafening roll of thunder, beginning with a hollow rumble, and ending with a crash so violent that all the window-panes rattled. Levski got up, went to the window, and pressed his forehead against the pane. There was a fierce, magnificent storm. On the horizon, lightning flashes were flung in white streams from the storm clouds into the sea, lighting up the high, dark waves over the faraway expanse. And to the right, and to left, and, no doubt, over the house too, the lightning flashed. 
the storm whispered laevsky he had a longing to pray to someone or to something if only to the lightning or the storm clouds dear storm he remembered how as a boy he used to run out into the garden without a hat on when there was a storm and how two fair-haired girls with blue eyes used to run after him and how they got wet through with the rain they laughed with delight but when there was a loud peal of thunder the girls used to nestle up to the boy confidingly while he crossed himself and made haste to repeat holy 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 oh where had they vanished to in what sea were they drowned those dawning days of pure fair life he had no fear of the storm no love of nature now he had no god all the confiding girls he had ever known had by now been ruined by him and those like him all his life he had not planted one tree in his own garden nor grown one blade of grass and living among the living he had not saved one fly he had done nothing but destroy and ruin and lie lie what in my past was not vice he asked himself trying to clutch at some bright memory as a man falling down a precipice clutches at the bushes school the university but that was a sham he had neglected his work and forgotten what he had learnt the service of his country that too was a sham for he did nothing in the service took a salary for doing nothing and it was an abominable swindling of the state for which one was not punished he had no craving for truth and had not sought it spellbound by vice and lying his conscience had slept or been silent like a stranger like an alien from another planet he had taken no part in the common life of men had been indifferent to their sufferings their ideas their religion their sciences their strivings and their struggles he had not said one good word not written one line that was not useless and vulgar he had not done his fellows one hapeth of service but had eaten their bread drunk their wine seduced their wives lived on their thoughts and to justify his contemptible parasitic life in their eyes and in his own he had always tried to assume an air of being higher and better than they lies 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 he vividly remembered what he had seen that evening at muradov's and he was in an insufferable anguish of loathing and misery kirilin and atchmianov were loathsome but they were only continuing what he had begun they were his accomplices and his disciples this young weak woman had trusted him more than a brother and he had deprived her of her husband of her friends and of her country and had brought her here to the heat to fever and to boredom and from day to day she was bound to reflect like a mirror his idleness his viciousness and falsity 
and that was all she had had to fill her weak, listless, pitiable life. Then he had grown sick of her, had begun to hate her, but had not had the pluck to abandon her, and he had tried to entangle her more and more closely in a web of lies. These men had done the rest. Laevsky sat at the table, then got up and went to the window. At one minute he put out the candle, and then he lighted it again. He cursed himself aloud, wept and wailed and asked forgiveness. Several times he ran to the table in despair and wrote, Mother! Except his mother, he had no relations or near friends. But how could his mother help him, and where was she? He had an impulse to run to Nadezhda Fyodorovna, to fall at her feet, to kiss her hands and feet, to beg her forgiveness. But she was his victim, and he was afraid of her, as though she was dead. My life is ruined, he repeated, rubbing his hands. Why am I still alive? My God! He had cast out of heaven his dim star. It had fallen, and its track was lost in the darkness of night. It would never return to the sky again, because life was given only once and never came a second time. If he could have turned back the days and years of the past, he would have replaced the falsity with truth, the idleness with work, the boredom with happiness. He would have given back purity to those whom he had robbed of it. He would have found God and goodness. But that was as impossible as to put back the fallen star into the sky. And because it was impossible, he was in despair. When the storm was over, he sat by the open window and thought calmly of what was before him. Von Koren would most likely kill him. The man's clear, cold theory of life justified the destruction of the rotten and the useless. If it changed at the crucial moment, it would be the hatred and the repugnance that Laevsky inspired in him that would save him. If he missed his aim, or in mockery of his hated opponent, only wounded him or fired in the air, what could he do then? Where could he go? Go to Petersburg? Laevsky asked himself. But that would mean beginning over again the old life which he cursed. And the man who seeks salvation in change of place, like a migrating bird, would find nothing anywhere, for all the world is alike to him. Seek salvation in men? In whom and how? Samarlenko's kindness and generosity could no more save him than the deacon's laughter or von Koren's hatred. He must look for salvation in himself alone, and if there were no finding it, why waste time? He must kill himself, that was all. He heard the sound of a carriage. It was getting light. The carriage passed by, turned, and crunching on the wet sand, stopped near the house. There were two men in the carriage. Wait a minute, I'm coming directly, 
Levsky said to them out of the window. I'm not asleep. Surely it's not time yet. Yes, it's four o'clock. By the time we get there. Levsky put on his overcoat and cap, put some cigarettes in his pocket, and stood still, hesitating. He felt as though there was something else he must do. In the street the seconds talked in low voices, and the horses snorted, and this sound, in the damp early morning, when everyone was asleep, and light was hardly dawning in the sky, filled Levsky's soul with a disconsolate feeling, which was like a presentiment of evil. He stood for a little, hesitating, and went into the bedroom. Nadezhda Fyodorovna was lying stretched out on the bed, wrapped from head to foot in a rug. She did not stir, and her whole appearance, especially her head, suggested an Egyptian mummy. Looking at her in silence, Levsky mentally asked her forgiveness, and thought that if the heavens were not empty, and there were really a god, then he would save her. If there were no god, then she had better perish, there was nothing for her to live for. All at once she jumped up and sat up in bed, lifting her pale face, and looking with horror at Laevsky, she asked, Is it you? Is the storm over? Yes. She remembered, put both hands to her head, and shuddered all over. How miserable I am, she said. If only you knew how miserable I am. I expected, she went on, half closing her eyes, that you would kill me, or turn me out of the house into the rain and storm. But you delay, delay. Warmly and impulsively, he put his arms round her, and covered her knees and hands with kisses. Then, when she muttered something, and shuddered, with the thought of the past, he stroked her hair, and, looking into her face, realized that this unhappy, sinful woman was the one creature near and dear to him whom no one could replace. When he went out of the house and got into the carriage, he wanted to return home alive. End of chapter 17